This is BioBusters, Professors Hanging Out Talking Science, episode number 27, recorded on May 20th, 2020. You are listening to the podcast that takes you beyond the classroom and into the trenches of science. I'm Dr. Abi Abdallah. I'm here with Dr. Fawner and Dr. Keller. How are we doing today? I am doing excellent. Back in okay. uh, back in the saddle, I guess. Right. We're, we're getting there yeah. for the most part. For, yeah. Not fully. So normal. first off, it's been, we've been on a hiatus for a little bit. Well, yes, we apologize um, for that yeah, for, we, for COVID. Yeah. Uh, we've kind been, of out of uh, our control, though. Yeah. I mean, if we would, if we could well, have helped course. it, we would have recorded a lot more. Historically, if anybody ever comes back and listens to our podcasts, <laughs> this is in the middle of the coronavirus outbreak of 2020. Hopefully, near uh, the well, uh, probably not nearing the end, but hopefully you mean closer they, to things going back to normal. They're starting what yeah. pseudo normal, I would say, societal but and economically. I will. What also, is what is normal? Anyway? Well, I don't I think don't we're going to get back to normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I will have everybody know at home we are social distancing and wearing masks and right wearing now, masks. So that's so good. yeah. Um, so we are practicing safety precautions. There you go. Yeah, that's right. I do want to say something for today. Mm-hmm. We uh, we this is actually a monumental day here at Lecom because oh what happened? Well, you know what happened. You were there. I do know what happened. <laughs> go ahead. Um, we actually had our first ever. PhD student at LeeCom successfully defend and pass her dissertation. Congratulations. So, congratulations to Leah. Dr. LeBranch. Yeah, yes, very good, she, Leah. It's exciting news. So so I think that's a, a great, great addition to the programs that we offer. And it gives me academic goosebumps yeah. to think about it. So right. how long I'm going to take a moment. How long do we call her Dr. LeBranch before we go back to calling her Leah? Should we do it for a, a month? Two. Two, oh, a day, day or two. Day two. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> that's it? <laughs> When I got my PhD, I think I got that for about a few hours. For a day, maybe. <laughs> I believed you had one. Uh, that's right. And then everybody went back to Delbert. Yep. I, it, it, it didn't sound right for the first day or two. And then after that, it was just got used to it. And, you know, no more, uh, no more goosebumps, no more, you know, uh, yeah, not much you, more of a good get feeling. Used to it. It's just natural. Mm. Just natural. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, that's good. So good day. Beautiful weather. And we are inside. Yeah, too bad things aren't opening up. Is the marina opened up and the beaches starting to get opened up? I don't yet. Well, Presque Isle has always been open. Yeah, they're not closed. But the facility's closed. Correct. And I think they will remain closed, uh, as last I heard. Okay. So uh, if you do plan on going to Presque Isle, keep in mind that no facilities are open. So that means no bathrooms, no Mm -hmm. whatever other facilities. Probably the most important one is the no bathrooms. (laughs) Yeah, that would be helpful, I think. That's true. But the park itself is open to the public. Well, maybe I'll be taking a trip there this weekend. It is a long weekend or so, I'm told. So, um, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to talk about Erie County, but we can do it with the coronavirus update. Let's sure. let's, let's get the episode going. So what do we got? Uh, uh, today's birthday, Edward B. Lewis. Who wants to talk about Edward B. Lewis? He was born May 20th, 1918, died July 21st, 2004. You know, I just realized uh, that was the height of the flu pandemic. Hmm? Avian flu. Yeah. Yeah. Of 100 years ago. 100 and some years ago. 
No, I was thinking 2004. Was yeah, that the yeah. avian flu? Well, so yeah. he was, was born in the Spanish flu. He, he yeah. was born wow. in the two flu <laughs> wow, epidemics or that. pandemics. Born in the Spanish great. flu, wow. died in the avian flu. Okay, well, thank you, Ed, I guess, for giving us that wonderful <laughs> anecdote. Uh, who wants to talk about this American uh, geneticist? So he is a 1995 Nobel Prize for Physiology or Medicine winner. He uh, co-shared that prize with Christian... Nuslein Volhart and Eric Weisskaus. I hope I did not butcher those. But uh, pretty much to simplify what he did, if you think of advanced organisms, so uh, let's say humans or, uh, I don't know, a frog or whatever, uh, life begins with a fertilized egg that divides, forms new cells, more cells form new cells, so on and so forth. Originally, at the beginning of that development, all these cells look the same, right? They're mm -hmm. identical. But however, in time, they start to change. Once a group of cells become the heart, one group of cells become the kidney, so on and so forth. So right? these migrations and cell developmental timelines have to be directionalized. They almost. are directionalized. Yes. They are timed. And uh, it turns out genes regulate all of that process. And uh, through working on fruit flies... Uh, in the 1970s, Edward Lewis uh, discovered, among other things, the uh, location uh, of these genes and the developmental pathway that controls all of this development. So body plan, formation of body segments, etc. And these are now called homeotic genes or the Hox genes for those of you. Interesting. They're only expressed during embryonic development. Yeah. Yeah. That's very. So we have genes in our DNA that are only expressed when you're being formed. Yeah. And then very interesting, off. isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Time and space and all of that jazz, right? I all bet you they jazz. turn back on in some organisms that, let's say, I'm thinking of organisms where you can say, like, cut off a limb and regeneration. it comes back. Yeah, regeneration. Yeah. No, regeneration, regeneration I believe they are. I, Do they talking, turn back on? You're talking about a, say, I won't like even a say a developmental biologist. Play here, but I taught it. Or, yeah, 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 I'm pretty sure. Yeah, with huh. regeneration, it's there are homeotic Like planaria. And, yeah. yeah. Fascinating. It is cool stuff, for sure. And uh, the Nobel Prize, and this is a quote, uh, the prize motivation was uh, for their discoveries concerning the genetic control of early embryonic development. There you go. Do you guys ever play with fruit flies? Yeah. In the, yeah, we do oh, yeah, in our genetics sure. class. Basic oh. bio. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're just, and they're the bane of my existence during, you know, <laughs> canning season too. Yeah, I bet. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. And you, you know you can you can uh, you've got kids that love to do stuff like that. You can order like Carolina, but not that you know not not to put an ad out for anybody. But Carolina Biological sells these uh, kits they'll ship to your home for uh, twenty thirty dollars. Yeah, they're, I real, they're can, very inexpensive. Uh, you know, maybe I should sell them. I grow my own fruit flies. It's yeah, yeah, you should. You should. Um, we actually just did butterflies. Yeah. We uh, we ordered caterpillars and yeah, and we let them go. And it was very yeah. We had them for. About a month or so, maybe a little bit over. That was recently. You did. That we over just the released quarantine. them the other day when it was warm. Wow, that's cool. I like that. So it was. Uh, it was fun. They had a lot of fun with it. Cool. Yeah, man. Okay. All right. So uh, we're going to focus on two things in this episode. Uh, they're all sort of related to coronavirus. So we're going to give you a coronavirus update. It's been a while since we recorded <laughs> our first episode, and you know, I went back and listened to our first episode, and boy, have things changed. I think, and we were still not it was pensive. Still minimal risk. Yeah, right? we weren't being pensive. We were being cautious, but we were also of the mindset 
we don't have the data right now to jump to conclusions, no. but maybe this burns out or maybe uh, it, we're not sure how significant or how considerable this pandemic would get. And now here we are, May 20th, and right. we see where we're at. Well, at the time, it was uh, just a few hundred cases in China, and we thought that they were going to contact trace and uh, do the right thing and mm -hmm. stop it in its tracks. I think we know now that it was being spread before that. Yeah. 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 There are early documented cases of this from this past December, right? Correct. I believe in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. in the U.S. In the this US. past December. Okay. Yeah. Well, remember, we, we were we were not looking for that virus here. We didn't know it existed, mm -hmm. really. That's right. Yeah. So, and uh, I, I think uh, if I remember correctly, in terms of genetic analysis, most of the U.S. appears to have been seeded by virus coming from New York City. Mm -hmm. and not, not a surprise. I mean, that's yeah. the biggest travel. Yeah. 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 And New York City appears to have been seeded by virus coming from Italy. No, mm. oh, interesting. And Italy appears to have been seeded from by China. virus coming from China. Yeah. yeah. Uh, based on genetic uh, tracking and genetic analysis. Is, is uh, I've, I've never flown to China, but is Italy a stopover? I'm not, I've, I've never I don't know. gone I mean, there either. I wonder. Must be. Must based be. on the genetic tracking in that lineage. It, it must be. Thinking, you know what, Milan, yeah, because northern Italy is the industrial center of Italy and there Milan is up there. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so at so, this point, go what, ahead. approximately 5 million test confirmed cases worldwide. Now that's not total cases, but those are cases that have been confirmed via testing, right? And we're still looking at that as being underestimated. Vastly underestimated. Vastly underestimated. Uh, yeah. Vastly underestimated. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that means a lot of people recovered. Mm -hmm. I just that's want right. to put that out there. That's yeah. right. Uh, 330,000 deaths worldwide in about 213 countries and territories. But uh, currently, the U.S. is the epicenter of this outbreak. Mm -hmm. uh, we have by far the largest number of uh, test-confirmed cases. Now, we ha also have ran a lot of tests. A lot. Yeah. So they're Not available. per million, but total number. We have run a lot. Per, mm -hmm. per million of population, sure. other countries still beat us. But we have run a lot of tests. Uh, Million and a half cases in the U.S., approximately 95,000 deaths as of this morning. All estimates for most models for this year are looking at about 180 to 200,000 deaths by the end of the year. We'll see if that fares out now. And hopefully taking into account, and we'll talk about this, what's going to happen with the upcoming fall possible resurgence, flu season arriving, and a new flu strain coming about, uh, things could things could ramp back up for all we oh, know. Oh, of course they will. Uh, and, and they will. New York and New Jersey uh, are by far the worst affected areas of that outbreak that we have in the U.S. And that's what's striking to me about this is different states are being, you know, lifted from quarantine. At 48 states times. as of this morning. There you go. But it's still... I mean, it's going to be very fascinating to see what happens with New York and New Jersey and counties there and areas. Uh, have any counties or any areas in New York or New Jersey been lifted yet? Or? I think starting next week, some counties, or actually it was Monday, it two was days this ago, Monday. Yeah, yeah, that okay. some counties have moved to a soft reopening. Uh -huh. Uh, I, I think part of the problem with uh, and, and we, we, we saw that in a lot of states, part of the problem of having a blanket shutdown mm -hmm. is that there are a lot of states with rural areas mm -hmm. that ha had nothing. Yeah. 
and, and may continue to have nothing. Uh, I mean, yeah. Unless you have somebody come in that, that's infected, you're uh-huh. not going to have a, a case. Yeah. And I, I agree with that that statement. The blanket is, I think that's what's angering a lot of people out there is that There's a lot you, of know, you don't have any them. cases, but yet we're telling you, 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 you know, well, when your occupation's at risk, you know, yeah. if you're, a, yeah. if you've got, you know, a business that, well, that could think go about under. The, think about the uncertainty and having to, with zero to very few cases, you're, it's a waiting game and there's nothing worse than waiting, especially when your economic livelihood is on the line. Right. Um, how long do you wait before you defy the order, open back up and then risk, you know, fines? It's a numbers game. I, I'm glad I'm not in that situation. Oh, yeah. Trust and me, and I too. feel for those people that are in that Ab- situation. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and, you know, that's why when we get a chance, at least with the restaurant, we, uh, my wife and I are getting a lot more takeout than normal. Yeah. Um, I. I Probably need more exercise, but, um, you know, no I, we, we, what's that? <laughs> no comment. Yeah. Yeah. It's you too. You mean? <laughs> yeah. Same here. Exactly. Yeah. So, but uh, I, I guess that there is no right answer here no. because we're in a position where we can, and that's what we do with this podcast. We talk about the medical and health side and scientific side of things, but also social is important. We are talking about the social and economical yeah. side of things as well. Yeah. And trying to balance those two things at this critical juncture I don't know how it can be done. Uh, there's going to be a risk opening up. Let's get oh, that out. Of course, Absolutely. There, there will, will be, yeah, be an undeniable I, you know, risk. I, I liken this whole situation. I think about historically the plague. Think mm-hmm. about medieval Europe. Everybody's learned about it in history class at one point. I right? think about your history teacher. Mm-hmm. They tried to make history exciting. They talked about bubonic plague. Yeah. And, and, and we have a previous podcast episode from a few years ago. Uh, well, I was not privy. Plague. There we go. I, I, I remember. Seeing you that. mean to tell me I listened Keller, to that you have not listened to all of our I'm, episodes? I've <laughs> listened to them all. I took notes on how to improve. Good, good, good. Um, <laughs> but but I liken to it because during during the bubonic plague, they uh they they would burn down parts of a city just yep. to get rid of the yeah. rats. Yeah. yeah, right. They would quarantine people. They'd throw people in, in secluded areas, mm-hmm. not isolate, but isolate sick people together. Yeah, um, because they knew they would probably die, but mm-hmm. yet not be able to transmit it to people that yet didn't have symptoms. And yeah. and 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 in this case, so I guess the cost of life was not as important during bubonic plague. It was more about stopping. Things and yeah. of course probably class. Here we're trying to protect people at risk mm-hmm. by shutting down everything, and you know shutting it down, keeping the hospitals and healthcare facilities from being overwhelmed. overwhelmed yeah. I mean that was I think that was a very high priority, and hopefully that has been alleviated. Hopefully that has been. I think we're a little bit more ready now, yes. right? Yeah. Like I think uh, states and the federal government have, with a shutdown have had some time to, you know, uh, load up on supplies. But But coming, growing up in a rural place, I'm just going to tell you, it's that blanket statement back to that again. Yeah. You know, this, the whole, the whole shutting everything down comes out of cities like New York and and Boston and. Which it makes sense for New York City to have done that. Absolutely. 100%. But yet when you're in a rural area with a hospital that has maybe, you know, 20 beds or so, mm-hmm. uh, but but you have a ventilator and there's nobody sick. And with 100 yeah. people per square mile you know, or something uh, like exactly. that. Exactly. And, and, and you're costing people their businesses by asking them to remain shut down. Yeah. I, I just, I, you know. I think part of the problem is that, that, that came out of this is, A, the federal government was not really ready for something like this, right? And like, I mean, like, how do you prep for something like, I mean, we should have had some readiness. You can't prep for 
a disease itself, but you right. should prep for an outbreak of a disease. You don't know what kind of disease it will be, but you, we, we should have been a little bit more ready. But the other problem, I think, is that, and, you know, we won't get too political into the discussion of healthcare, but I think it was very evident that a lot of people's healthcare depended on them remaining employed. And when we had 20, 30 million people lose their jobs and lose their health insurance with it and all of, in a pandemic when they need health insurance, right? Yeah. That was a problem for a lot of individuals, right? And, you know, we won't get into it, but there are a lot of things that I think hopefully moving forward as a country will learn the lessons from, but well, hopefully given our political to, climate, I doubt we're going to no, learn any no. lessons from this thing. Well, uh, hopefully re retooling and revamping of the healthcare system and I know that's a stretch, I think. I mean, that's a well, lofty goal. The problem is there's a lot of politics in, in all of that. Well, and that needs to be addressed on both sides. I don't yeah. care if, if it's a conservative issue or uh, a democratic issue. It needs to be addressed because this poked a lot of holes in a lot of different aspects. Simply of on the supply chain, runs. the uh -huh. supply chain economics of it, right? Like yep. we we should we should be making our own PPE. We should be. Well, there's no doubt about that. You know what but, I mean? You know, even even companies that did. China was buying those up early on. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's without, what I, you know, yeah. and so they were hoarding everything because they knew they were having a problem without letting yeah. us know. I think that's a fact that came mm -hmm. out. That's that's what I mean. There are a lot of lessons we can learn that that we can set that have nothing to do with politics. We can put politics aside well, on I, something like PPE uh, uh, production. Yeah, right? I will say, you know, d what you guys are talking about. In order to get there, and politics aside, I think you need to have a strong economy yeah. at least yeah. that'll support it yeah yeah and so i you know it's a stepwise thing it's uh, actually it's more like the chicken the egg here mm -hmm. yeah. you know which right. one you want to deal with first but it well, is clear that we weren't ready for this yeah no, no, no i agree no. and you know we told a, a problem is the government specifically not just federal on the state level in both red and blue states they said to people shut down go home we're going to send you money and people are still waiting on that there are there are people four or five well, weeks find still it, waiting on i find it kind of insane where some people are still waiting for that first stimulus check. And now within the next few weeks, there could be signed into law, you know, legislation for a second round of stimulus checks. And, and all, all of that point, is printed money at this. We're adding oh, yeah, debt yeah. to this country. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. no one's business. Yep. Yeah. Just print and yep. add, print and add. So but what's, let's, oh. let's get out of that. Let's get yeah, out of that topic. It's probably about time to move on. So what's the, the one uh, most significant development since our last episode? Hold is, on, let, let's talk about a couple, uh, not to interrupt you because that's a lengthy discussion. I know, I know where you had it, but let's, okay. let, let's, uh, let's address a few of these questions. Uh, do do we think it's coming back in the fall? I think we're in agreement it's coming back in the fall, right? Yes, I you know, or, I still, or with the new with the new sort of flu season, it'll probably come back. I think there, yes, it might, it might not be you know as severe of a resurgence, but coupled with the new you know uh, the new concerns with the flu that come about every fall, um, I think the situation could be just as bad if we're not prepared for it. And if hospitals and healthcare workers aren't prepared for that, it's my, a double-edged sword. I mean, opinion. it's going to come back. People, unfortunately, some people will probably succumb to it. Yeah. It's just not going to be at the same level yeah. for two reasons. People are going to get it and get antibodies. There's no, I mean, there's no reason this virus is going to be different than any other. Mm -hmm. Between now and then, you mean? 
between now and then. Yeah. Right? So there's going to be people that survive and, and, and that's going to reduce your, your susceptible population, you know, and contribute to herd immunity. That's right. Right. Um, I think that we're still going to have some degree of social distancing. I mean, they're talking about if they open up schools still. Yeah. If they open them up, they're only going to allow so many kids per classroom. Yeah. Um, now kids are dirty and they're mm-hmm. going to share their bugs. Right. But, um, but also at work. You know, I mean, we're still it's a different environment, it's a new normal. And yeah. And so we've taken precautions. I they're they're preventative co- precautions. I don't think they're going to work 100 no. percent, but they sure will help. So I think you're going to see a lot less cases, but surely, yeah, there's still going to be some some coronavirus well, cases. We still have the, the possibility of mutation for a new strain of this. Right. I mean. It has there has been evidence that this has already mutated at least once. Look, correct? It's, it's not like the flu. OK, the the flu has a preponderance because of its um, enzyme that it uses to to make new flu virus. It has a, a predilection to mutate. Mm-hmm. Um, now, all all RNA viruses like coronavirus can do that. But I don't think there's been any evidence anywhere in the literature that it's to the same degree as the flu or that the mutation is so extreme that it's a completely no i'm not yeah, saying we're talking there's been a mutation so, that increased violence but there is evidence that at least it's mutated oh yeah of yes sir it, it yeah. mutates yes, sir. daily yeah but that doesn't mean it's gonna be a drift that's what uh what uh, dr delbert and i are talking about a genetic drift where you have uh changes in the uh protein structures that make antibodies not work anymore there's been no evidence of that for a coronavirus yeah. And in more cases than not, with these uh, viruses, usually mutations tend to weaken the virus. I think that's the one thing that I read just a few days ago. One such mutation might have actually weakened its ability yeah. to replicate. Yeah, yeah. Most most of these weaken. Uh, quickly, let's touch mm-hmm. up on masks. We went from, uh, in terms of CDC recommendations, from those with symptoms to wear them to let's all put them on. Yes. And uh, we think that's a new normal now. I mean, everyone's right. yeah. You don't, don't you guys look like I, I, I go out. I went out in public. I have to. I have to to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't you look sideways at somebody who's not wearing one now? Yeah, you do slightly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's a it's a habit. You're like, why? Where's your mask? No, my wife accidentally went into a store, not thinking, and she walked in, and within two seconds, she's wondering why is everybody looking at me mm. like I grew three heads, and she went. Oh, crap. And had to run back out to her car. She was only in there for a few seconds. But that's where we are. So uh, the advice for that came around because we know that there's a very large percentage of people who are asymptomatic. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's uh, move on to Fauner's issue. Oh, the uh, (laughs) Kawasaki like disease that is being seen in children. Um, So um, this disease first described in 1967 in Japan by Dr. Kawasaki, which is why it's named such. It's generally... I wonder if there's any relation to the Kawasaki bikes. Mm -hmm. I thought that. Well, maybe something to look up. I should have looked it up. A fun fact at the end of the episode. That's like the Smith Smith of the U.S. The Kawasaki. So it's generally more prevalent and observed in Asian ethnic groups, but can also affect all ethnic groups equally. Uh, Signs and symptoms include a fever that lasts about four days, red eyes, red rashes on the palms and soles, and patients can also exhibit what's called a strawberry tongue, a swollen, bumpy tongue that, you know, resembles, you guessed it, a strawberry. Um, (laughs) The disease causes a significant and considerable amount of inflammation of the medium-sized arteries. This can include the coronary arteries, which are, you know, 
feeding blood to the heart, that is pretty significant. And as you can imagine, if you're affecting those arteries, that's kind of dangerous. Uh, if it's not treated right away, you can get serious complications, uh, heart disease, heart attack, and potentially even death. And now this is Kawasaki, right? Yeah, that's the yeah. Kawasaki disease. So the etiology of the disease is currently unknown. Um, it's currently postulated that um, the infection is a trigger. And it's also postulated that a lot of infections can actually trigger those con uh, that condition. And we now know, based on the past few months, that uh, COVID-19 can trigger Kawasaki-like disease in children. So, yeah, it's still unclear whether this is an autoimmune disease or if it isn't. And to treat this, you have to catch it fairly quickly, right? Um, the earlier, the better. The earlier, the better. And uh, treatment includes um, administration of antibodies or IVIG uh, and intravenous administration of those antibodies. Aspirin and blood thinners can also be used to decrease the risk of artery problems after the onset of that inflammatory condition. So that's Kawasaki disease, right? So we now know that they're seeing with uh, COVID-19 a bunch of kids uh, effectively have what they're describing as Kawasaki-like disease. There's roughly around 100 cases or so in the U.S., right? And um, it's been called Pediatric Multisystem Inflammatory Syndrome, or PMIS. Uh, most children are experiencing organ failure. Uh, however, there's a huge caveat there. If this is caught early, uh, it is treatable. Uh, it is also important to note a very uh, sort of interesting difference between this Kawasaki-like and actual Kawasaki. Uh, Kawasaki disease usually affects children under five. This is uh, affecting children uh, over five, mostly two to 18 age range there. But yeah, this is interesting and it's uh, making a lot of parents out there uh, terrified. But if your kid has any of these symptoms, uh, take them to the ER right away. We do have treatment for this, and uh, the earlier you catch this, the better. So they're using the same treatments, right, for the Kawasaki-like disease uh, as far as I from know, yeah. COVID. Yeah. Okay. Uh, IVIG. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's another disease that's very similar to this. Uh, actually, it's a a continuum of diseases. Toxic shock. Well, uh, partly. Um, I'm thinking more along the lines of. Uh, scarlet fever mm -hmm. caused by uh, group A strep and rheumatic fever, which is also caused by group A strep. Um, All infectious triggers. And they're, well, they're both, yeah, yeah. both are infectious yeah. triggers, but one is antibody mediated and the other is a toxin. So um, scarlet fever is caused by something we call a super antigen, but basically it causes a, a pretty robust immune response, mm -hmm. similar to what you see. It also causes what we call a, a lumpy, bumpy rash, a red raised mm -hmm. rash on the torso yeah. and a strawberry tongue. There's mm -hmm. not a lot of other diseases that do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so there's a lot of similarities there. And then separately is a disease that um, used to be a very big deal. It's one reason we, we aggressively treat strep throat, and that's rheumatic fever and rheumatic heart disease, mm -hmm. which led to heart failure in kids and usually older kids um, from repeated strep throat infections. This is an antibody-mediated disease, which is why you know we think Kawasaki might be an autoimmune disease. 
Um, but you see very similar symptoms of inflammation of the heart tissue due to antibodies binding to it. Mm-hmm. And those antibodies then allow our Listening immune response to cause inflammation. chronic yeah. inflammation and cellular death. If I'm not mistaken, Darwin's daughter died of uh, one of these, either scarlet or rheumatic. I think it was, I, you know, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I've never heard of scarlet fever being very lethal, but rheumatic, rheumatic, rheumatic heart disease historically big killer. This is something that I need to ask, like maybe my aunt. I doubt my dad would know, but I'm pretty sure I might have had or suspected to have scarlet fever when I was a kid. Yeah, you look like you had scarlet fever. Well, thank you. I'm going to take that as a compliment, even (laughs) though it isn't. It's actually survived. So it's interesting very quickly, but scarlet fever so everybody knows strep throat. If you got kids, you definitely know strep throat. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people get strep throat. Scarlet fever is caused by the same bacteria mm-hmm. only when you have strep throat, but it's not all the time. It's a, a special strain of, of, of group A strep yeah. that has a special toxin. And so it's uncommon, but it does occur usually in kids uh, again in the winter months. Uh, okay, so All right. uh, the second part of our episode will focus on vaccine efforts for the coronavirus, uh, uh, particularly in light of some uh, positive news this week and a week before about some candidates. And also, uh, we're happy to answer any of your questions. So if you have any uh, questions related to uh, this topic or any other topic, uh, email us and we'll get on top of that. I think this topic was spurred on by just how realistic is it to potentially get a vaccine developed, manufactured, tested, and then available before the end of the year, before 2020, or we look in more at 2021. I've had a few friends of mine and a few family members say, what is the vaccine kind of developmental process like? So Be- as before 2020, I think it's a stretch. I think That's it's a big, a big stretch. stretch. Big and you stretch. know, okay, well, we'll yeah, talk we, about you know, we, we could easily have something available and inject you tomorrow. Right. But is, it's not does it, one, does it work? But do you want two, it before we test it? And no. two, is it going to kill you? And that's right. the thing. So for, we're in safety and efficacy trials, right? Yes. Right. That's absolutely correct. So, and I Thank think you. we've described, <laughs> I think we've described vaccines before and gone over in a previous episode, well, you know, what they do. But uh, one of you two, given your background in this, what is the role of a vaccine in the human body? Uh, what does it do in terms of priming your immune system to fight off future infections? So, uh, in as uh, short as many words as possible and simplified as possible, it's effectively uh, giving your body a taste, so to speak, of what that infection is going to look like. Mm -hmm. So, uh, pretty much you uh, inject or you vaccinate against something completely non-lethal, non-toxic, completely safe, tested, efficacious, etc., that uh, gives your immune system sort of a preview of what's to come with the actual infection. A trailer, if you will. Yeah. Your immune system. I like that. A trailer. I like the trailer. Your immune system effectively sees that, uh, remembers it. It's going to recognize those antigens Uh that are on that, you know, bacterial type or that pathogen. Exactly. And stimulate immunity for the production of immune memory, antibodies, etc. Correct. And then when you get infected with the actual thing, uh, your immune system is already on alert. Think about it uh, like, you know, I don't know, you're like in the army and you get uh, frontline intelligence that says, hey, an attack is imminent and you prep for it and you're not caught off guard and mm-hmm. uh, you attack and kill. Attack and kill. You know, and, and in the case of 
of the coronavirus and a, a lot of viruses that lead to a very robust immune response. I think that's what we're seeing with the lethal pneumonia is that the, you're getting more of an innate cytokine response. So cytokines are little molecules that basically help help your blood cells talk to each other. Mm-hmm. That's really what they do. Messengers yeah. of the immune yeah. system. Signalers. But but they also can do things like open up your blood vessels. Mm-hmm. Right. Or constrict them, yeah. conversely. Yeah. Um, they do a lot of different functions. So if, if you're talking about in the in the lungs, you get a lot of these little cytokines being made. They can open up your airways, allowing a lot of fluid Bronchodilation, in. Bronchodilation, fluid accumulation, And that's what we think is happening very acutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And so, you know, if we can shut that down, that might help. But yeah. better than that, with a vaccine... Having antibodies, you might be able to neutralize that virus before you it even it gets the there. Source. Yeah. You cut off the source. So not only are you protecting, but you're protecting from the symptoms as well. The yeah. infect, even yeah. if it's a milder infection, that's right. You're protecting from the symptoms, and I think that's that's where we need to go. And you know, people say, "Oh, isn't it better to get the natural thing?" You'll get. Will you get the same amount of immunity with a vaccine and the actual infection? The answer is yes, sure. Do you mm-hmm. want the side effects of the actual infection and, and I, the possible death rate that comes with that? The answer should be no. I, I want to add to that because I think that's that's true. The, the reason we have vaccines is so you don't die. Right. That's really it. Yes. And, and some of them we have for, for cancer. Some of them we have, you know, because of money. Like, I, I believe the chickenpox vaccine is more about money yeah. than it's about saving lives because most kids don't die from chickenpox. Yeah. But but the vaccine does not give you as good immunity as seeing the real thing. Mm-hmm. It sure. depends on the formulation. Right. Um, think of them as, as different levels, if you will. The best thing you can get to develop immune response, yes, is the real thing. But like Dr. Delbert said, would you like to die from it? For example, well, when I hear anti-vaxxers say, oh, well, measles, nobody died from measles. Are you kidding me? Giant cell pneumonia killed millions of kids over the centuries. Well, we have to Not think to about mention the lifelong with, consequences of living with the sequelae of the disease. Sure. Well, and think about people with uh, different Deafness. immune conditions, yeah. uh, immunocompromised yeah. individuals. Yeah. They can't be given the actual strain, and yet they have to be given another type so, of vaccine. Exactly. So it's think not of just about this, you; it's about society. It is. It is, which but, is something that we should repeat often, especially yeah. in this stage of, I guess, society and life. It's not just about you; it's about the whole. I mean, yeah. look, I've talked with a lot of anti-vaxxers. They have a different different levels of their responses you know oh it's what's in the vaccine or oh it doesn't really work or one was microchipping that was a great one that was a great conversation (laughs) but oh you just never know i guess but i want to talk about vaccines and their effectiveness the most effective vaccine that you can get is the real virus we actually have one we have one formulation and you, you can't get it unless you're in the military but we have one formulation. Uh, the vaccinia for smallpox? No, no. Well, that, that's a different example. Um, they don't get that, though, still. Nobody's getting that now. Well, I'm, they did put post 9-11. They, did, they freaked okay, out that that's that was right. going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's an adenovirus vaccine. It, uh, this virus can also cause a lethal pneumonia. Mm-hmm. And it was in some military recruits. Yeah. And so what they did was they were giving them an ingested vaccine, but it's the real virus. Yeah. If they allowed the recruit to inhale the virus, it could kill them. Yeah. But when they ingested. ate it, it caused cross protection throughout the body. Uh, it's it's, what, what it's brilliant. Two, pill, two pills or one pill? Like one. It's, a, you only need one. it's the real yeah. virus. Yeah. As opposed to something like a, um, you probably heard of the, the DTP or DTAP now for kids. Diphtheria. The, diphtheria tetanus and, and the acellular pertussis well with the diphtheria and tetanus those are toxoids 
And so they're part of the they're inactivated part toxins, toxins yeah. but parts of the bacteria and you need boosters with those they're not going to last forever because it's not a it's not a robust real infection it's just one piece yeah. Yeah. of the puzzle so i'm just going to extremes here right. on on different the different response you might have and how often you might need a booster and the different types of vaccines that can be made as you right. i think summarized right. Right. pretty well there's, there's a few a others but I'm, there's a whole bunch more oh, yeah. yeah i don't think we'll get into that no we don't need to do that. unless you really want to well, so you know. what are some of the stages of vaccine development? So, so where do we start? Uh, multiple stages, which is why, as we're going to kind of describe for you, it's a long, laborious, intensive process, right? Laborious. Like you that. have the, it I'm is. good with words, this I guess. Very nice. The uh, first Lord stage is known stage. as the exploratory stage. Um, if it passes the developmental timeline there, you then get to the preclinical stage. It then progresses to the clinical development stage. Then the regulatory review and approval stage. And usually Finally, that takes a while. That does. Finally, to the manufacturing stage. And then, as with anything good that comes about, whether with science, experiments, or in this case, a drug, what's known as the quality control stage. And each of these stages are, I would say, equally important in terms of finally producing a safe, efficient, and long-lasting vaccine against whatever pathogen you're dealing with. It's a lot different than vacuolation that the Chinese used to practice in uh, variolation yeah, before yeah, yeah. Uh, in the BC times, or That's or right. even or even with Jenner in the smallpox, the uh -huh. cowpox, cowpox slash smallpox. You know, where, uh, Jenner took cowpox, injected it into a kid, and then gave the kid smallpox. His gardener's son, That's twelve year right. old son, and I'm, I'm sure there was some consent achieved there, but probably, I mean, influential doctor. It was probably I will fire you. <laughs> exactly, so, <laughs> and and then gave smallpox. So, to yeah. the kid repeatedly over a couple months later. Yeah, and so and so that was that was an example like our first example of a successful vaccine. Mm -hmm. But there were trials with rabies before that, and people died and died and yeah. died. Yeah. Yellow fever, and they died and died. Yeah, and and I guess the the uh, the minor point that I'm making here is what what Doctor Chris just read to you is a long list of things that have to be accomplished. Oh, it's easy to summarize there with just what the six stages, the six stages, each of those stages are intensive. They're yes. very intensive. So, yep. so I guess my, my point is that, you know, we want a vaccine tomorrow. Like, where is happen. it? Well, would you rather get a, a rabies vaccine that doesn't work and then you die of rabies or exactly. yellow fever or God forbid the vaccine actually killed you. Well, think about what you're dealing with here. You're talking about a piece or a portion of the virus being put into you to provoke an immune response. If you think about it just from those simple terms, you need to figure out what type of immune response, the robustness of the immune response, the right. dosage, the binding, the affinity, mm -hmm. um, long-lasting side That's effects. That's before you even get to patients. Exactly. These are all tested in animal models, cell culture systems. These things take a long time. You know, that was part of what I did in my PhD work. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we had a big, uh, big HIV vaccine, you know, program there. Everybody's everybody getting money to do research on HIV at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and and they were using peptides and T cells and things like you're talking about, yeah. Chris, to, to try to elicit that first robust immune response. And, and a lot of these places have it down to a science now mm -hmm. that they can yeah. just say, you know what, we have our system in place. All we need to do is find that specific piece of protein that's mm -hmm. going to induce that immune response. 
I'm I'm always surprised that people like people will say to me, uh, well, what are you guys doing? Like, well, what are these scientists doing? Like, why don't we have a vaccine yet? And I'm like, it you takes- do realize how long it takes, right? But you know, sometimes I switch it back and say, okay, whatever. Like, you're a project manager for I don't know, like some sort of uh, company, consulting, whatever. It takes you months to develop, uh, you know, also a good project proposal, etc., so on and so forth. Well, in skipping any of these steps is impossible. You can't just test this in animals. Unless you um, want to be reckless. Get, get it reviewed and then say, oh, we're going to skip past testing it with hundreds and thousands of Humans, people. Yeah. And we're just going to start injecting it nationwide or worldwide. That's not what's going to happen here. No. What if, some, what if there's a flaw that's not evident until it is tested with thousands of people? So, and, and then you get the folks that are opposed to research on animals, this and that, yet they want the product. Okay. I mean, you what know are you going mean? to do? It's, so, it's, it, to your point, Chris, um, years ago, we gave the, uh, I think we may have talked about this on this podcast, but we, we used to give uh, the oral live polio vaccine. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, it, it induces a very good immune response, and there is a very small chance that it could cause Rever- polio. Yeah, mm-hmm. called, called reversion. And um, nowadays we don't. We give the inactivated uh, shot. In the, vaccine, in the U.S. specifically, in, yeah. in some other places, um, and, they and still the do reason oral. we yes, right. Well, the WHO is trying to eradicate polio right now. That's what they're yeah. using. India, the, what we call the Sabin vaccine or live, uh-huh. the Salk vaccine. Um, who's well, former lab. I was Pittsburgh. yeah, I was right uh, near the lab that he mm. discovered and made the. That's cool. Yeah, down at Pitt, so surreal, but but. Um, we can use it here because we don't have a lot of polio. Mm-hmm. The point being, the safety is important. Mm-hmm. Years ago, um, they they grew the polio for the vaccine for the live vaccine in kidney cells from monkeys, uh, from African green monkeys, yeah. and those were contaminated with a virus, a monkey virus called herpes B. That's not the same thing as you're thinking about mm-hmm. right now. It's it's a different herpes virus. We don't get it. Unless you inject it in your body. And so people got a, a lethal brain infection with herpes B and a bunch of people died. And so they stopped using that vaccine. Yeah. No, safety is important. Safety is important. Very important. So after the exploratory step, right? So you're in a lab, you identify a protein, you think, okay, this is going to be a good vaccine this is candidate. A candidate yes. Okay. What do you do with it? So then the researchers will use kind of cell culturing systems, um, animal testing models, animal experiments to experiment with this putative vaccine and test and experiment if the candidate vaccine can elicit immunity. And at this point in time, the preclinical stage, a lot of these candidates are probably not going to progress past this stage because it's not going to due to inefficient immunity. And what's the term there that I'm blanking on? Is that immunogenicity? To, that's to, a good to, term. Yeah, yeah. Good it's not immunogenic enough, yeah. meaning it doesn't yeah. elicit okay. a robust immune response. Got it. So if it does elicit a robust immune response in an animal model, where do we take it from there? From there, it progresses to the stage known as the clinical development stage. In this stage, a private company will uh, submit and prepare an application for this investigational new drug, they call it, to the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. Uh, here, you have to have 
boatloads of um, data. You have to summarize your findings, uh, data on how the drug is going to be tested, data on how the drug's going to be you manufactured. You also have to have a boatload of money. Uh, I was going to say, <laughs> but, from, say but from this investment, I mean, think about that private company that gets this vaccine pushed all the way through. Oh, you're going to be pulling in you know, those unless, dollar signs, Unless you're right? someone like Salk and decide that this should be free to the world. And, uh, that yeah. was a long time ago. Yeah. That was a long People time ago. It was a lot People different. People don't do that yeah. kind of stuff anymore. So that that host institution will hold clinical trials, um, put together a review board, and at this point, the Food and Drug Administration will have, is it still 30 days to approve that so. candidate new drug? And then once it's approved, three phases come after. Okay, Clinical so trials. Clinical trials. Phase one is how many people? So less than 100 people uh -huh. the vaccine will be given to. You're looking to see if it's safe, and you're measuring the immune responses that are provoked in these individuals. These are usually college kids that need money. That's oh, right. I'm sure. It's usually it really basis. is. I'm not joking. <laughs> you, did, you, you guys did that, right? Not to go on an I side. never did it, but okay. somebody who I went to grad school... Uh, he he did every single study that was offered. Unreal, I unreal. Did, like I did, overnight, he. I know he had to go to the hospital once for an adverse uh, reaction yep. or something. Yeah. I did two where I went to. Uh, I actually did. I, I did two when I was at Duquesne. I went all the way over to I think it was CMU's campus, uh -huh. and I ate a small piece of chocolate and then played a computer game for half an hour. And boy, this I wish I had details on that. That was 10 years ago, but I'm still here. What so was in the chocolate? I, I can't remember. That's Dude. why I'm starting to get a little... Uh, <laughs> maybe this is why I, whenever I read a word at first now, it goes backwards and I have to reorient my... That's, I'm kidding. I'm not dyslexic, but poor joke. Um, I'm trying to remember what that study was on, if it was caffeine or if it was supposed to enhance memory. Well, there's probably a drug in the chocolate, Chris. Uh, oh, yeah. I know. Unless I was a placebo, but uh, I mean, there's be. no Unless chance. you were. Maybe that yeah. could explain all his explain uh, nervousness. And what, that he's a placebo? <laughs> no, no, no. I will it's say. It's whatever they gave him in that chocolate. <laughs> I will I'm say, ever since I was in school, I've been a nervous, anxious individual. So no relationship there. You so know, uh, C Cornell had a food institute where they like developed like new products and they had weekly uh, hummus tasting. They'd give you like five. Oh, I bet you love oh, that. Five to ten bucks. Right <laughs> I think oh it was like God. either $5 uh. or $10 to come like taste like three different kinds of hummus and like just fill out a survey. They paid you to eat yeah, hummus. Yeah, yeah. We did, we did that almost weekly. That's wonderful. <laughs> I, I had to eat some tainted chocolate that probably erased no, my No, over memory. here, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God damn. All right, phase two. What's phase two? So um, this is when you increase the sample size, basically. You're going to give the vaccine to hundreds of people, and you're going to continue to collect and discover more information about the safety, the immunogenicity, the immune responses of those people in response to the vaccine, as well as starting to determine a schedule and kind of refining the precise dosage right. of the vaccine to these different individuals. Everything goes well there. You then move to the final phase of the clinical development stage, which is going to be known as phase three. This is when you, again, increase your sample size to a pretty considerable size, right? Uh, thousands to tens of thousands of individuals. Usually those are done in the field in an yeah. area of outbreak. And, and keep yeah. in mind, they're also going to enroll people that aren't given the vaccine or at least right. follow people that haven't to see yeah. if they have a, a difference in disease acquisition. Now, and, we, you know, yeah. a lot of things we're skipping. Like, for example, you're mm -hmm. going to make sure that that person does not already have antibodies against the corona. Sure. Or oh, yeah. You, you can't, you know, et cetera, so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, here with phase three, you're really trying to measure and assess the safety and effectiveness 
with a large sample size, only because with a large sample size, you're going to be able to get more information on adverse side effects. If you only test it in 10 or 100 people, there could be a chance that just by, you know, like I said, pure chance and I don't know, luck that you don't see any adverse effects. They all respond favorably by increasing your sample size, your power, your statistical power. Any adverse effects will hopefully be um, elucidated. So you need a large N. A large N, exactly. So all of these are regulated uh, strictly at the very least in the United States by the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. Each one of these phases need to get FDA approval. Yep. And after that, there's the regulatory review and approval uh, where it then eventually gets licensed by the FDA, after which you have to move to manufacturing, which uh, depending on the platform you're using, you may not already have a pharmaceutical in the U.S. that has that kind of uh, manufacturing structure. Exactly. Yeah. To, if it's a novel method to produce a vaccine, we may not already have it. Right. So you would have to, you know, build that out of scratch, which is why it takes so long. And then batches of the vaccine have to go through quality control as well. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, phase four, right? You you go to that for quantity, performance, effectiveness, safety, et cetera. And so everything we've just described to you, it took us, what, just a few minutes to describe it and summarize it. But these steps take a year and a half to, to a year, year well, and a half. Typically, they take years. Yeah. yeah. You know, fast tracking is a year and a half. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's what people need to realize. Yeah. The FDA has removed or... Not, not removed the regulation, but said, okay, instead of us taking us maybe 30 days to review your protocol, we'll do it, tomorrow. We'll redu- we'll yeah. do it in one day. Yeah. They right? prioritized everything for the coronavirus vaccine and for novel therapeutics. Yeah, they, they put a lot of other stuff but, on hold. But they're not, but they're not removing risk. everything so that we're not getting an unsafe vaccine. No. Exactly. No. But that's also, I mean, thinking about just, I don't know, medical-wise or not necessarily economic, but societal Putting this at the top of the priority list, I'm not saying it doesn't deserve to be there, but think about the energy, manpower, funding, and um, work that's being taken away from other putative vaccines, right. or candidate vaccines for right. other pathogens. Yeah. It's a give and take. You only have Absolutely. so much that can go around. Manpower. You yep. know, I, I'm looking at this. Also in a look. pandemic where you've sent people home. Now, yeah. now you're telling them, oh, well, what, where, where, you, you need to work too. Come on right. back. You yep. know, I'm looking at this through a little different lens. Hmm. The fact is, why? Why can't we, if, if, if there really are candidate vaccines out there for coronavirus, then why can't we motiv- motivate the scientific community when there's not a pandemic to create vaccines against other infectious diseases? Money. Yeah. It's money, money and money. it's, it, yep. you throw enough money at the problem, look at HIV. Yep. When I was, when I was growing up, HIV was a death sentence. That's correct. You know, now we've got treatments where people live normal it's an incon- it's an inconvenience for the rest it's of your life it's an inconvenience yeah. but yeah. but it's a manageable inconvenience right. so i i think it's a different lens it shows what the scientific community can do if we were given enough resources to do it no i agree and motivation motivation is key you know like with anything motivation whether it's economical or anything i mean we don't i think yeah we we will have a coronavirus vaccine but it comes after a drug for restless leg syndrome but I mean, I, I've always said scientists Think are a bunch of curious people and you give them enough money, they will, they will find, they will, they will, there's find someone the out there who's interested in working on any question imaginable. You just need the cash. Yeah. 
All right, let's, uh, we're almost, on, yeah. yeah, so we have uh, just to bring it and uh, finish off with how is this related to the COVID-19 pandemic? Do we have anything in phase two right now? At this point in time, um, I don't think so. Based on recent data, I don't believe so. I think just no. phase one. Didn't, phase Moder one. didn't Moderna move to phase two this week? Yeah, but Moderna has its own set of issues right now. So they whether they are going back to phase one or staying on phase two, they have. that's so. up in the air. So they have some data sets missing. Yeah. But we know for sure yeah. of at least, what, five candidate vaccines that are in a status of phase one. Now, that number could be more, but um, there are five at least that have entered into the phase one stage in terms and of the a lot of them process. are looking at the S protein of mm -hmm. the uh, surface antigen on the on the on the virus. If you can make an antibody against that, you can block entry. Yeah. So yeah. so exactly. So the surface protein is going to coat the virus. So think of like a basketball. If you were trying to take an antibody and put it inside the basketball, that basketball is still going to get in the hoop. But if you mm -hmm. put the antibody on top, you mm -hmm. can block it from getting into the hoop. I like, the, I like you, that. You make, you just make a basketball just right now. and nice. it's not going to go in just now. Perfect. We cool. should use that in class. We will oh, try. Man. We will. We will try. Well, too bad that doesn't help me, physiologist here. But <laughs> You're welcome to use it in your classes. Well. Yes, oh, absolutely. Well, thanks. I appreciate <laughs> your, uh, your approval. And your, uh, yeah. So um, in terms of just what happens if we go too fast? What happens if we accelerate the vaccine approval and development process too fast? Well, like, what can happen? I think we've already touched on it. you got two outcomes. You've got um, maybe it's not effective. And so you're giving people a, 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 some hope that they're protected, but it's a right. false hope. Right. And you may, uh, in, they may increase dangerous. their risky behavior. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you may have more deaths or at least more cases. On the other hand, the vaccine itself could be dangerous in itself. Uh, like, like you for example, herpes it. B. Yeah. You know, if, if we're not if we're not completely aware, making sure we don't have contamination, that we have the right formulation, and that doesn't kill people itself, which is why we have these steps in place. And you that must be followed. And in certain people, you can provoke maybe even an overreaction of the Absolutely. immune system, maybe allergic yeah. inflammation, things well, like that. There's pl plenty of cases where some vaccines have induced autoimmunity themselves. That's correct. But even right here in this, in this... That's why there's a vaccine fund for side effects. But on the positive side right. of things, the reason why we can go a little bit quicker than, say, 10, 20 years ago for vaccine development is new technology, right? Oh, new absolutely. New manufacturing platforms, new abilities and ways of designing and purifying these antigens, uh, basically new types of vaccines that can be uh, developed and used. Uh, we're at a day and age where... We're not relying on you know I mean, old tools from decades ago. Yeah. With computational biology, we can speed this process up, but not too much. And and not just that, but we know a lot more about the immune response. We know what cell we're targeting. I mean, you can do something called an Eli spot, which is a uh, we're looking at the ability of the body's T cells. Mm to respond to different viral proteins like the S protein we were yep. just mentioning. And, and that's really the cell that's going to mediate most of the, the function, right? the, most of the response, um, as opposed to viral plaque assays. This was done, and we still do them, but a long time ago, you would actually look at different formulations of this virus, maybe different mutations of the S protein, and give them to cells and see what happens, which takes days yeah. as opposed to hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other reason that makes me hopeful that we're going to have something faster than usual is that this we're not operating under 
sort of normal procedure where there's a lab or a company somewhere developing a vaccine for some infection, right? Mm. This is a global problem. Everybody around the world is freaked out, right? Economies have shattered. Well, it's almost like a rat race at yeah. this point. And there, right. there's and both. that ambition and that economical absolutely. kind of incentive. Both national pride yes. and money is yeah, pushing right. a lot of countries to throw a lot of resources at this thing. National pride is a good point that I hadn't really considered. Yeah, that's this true. is a case of. Can we and, get it and done first? And it's it's well, going to be... Well, it was a no-brainer. That's yeah, why but, you didn't think about it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <Go> <laughs> <and> chocolate. <laughs> no, chocolate I'm saying that America <laughs> will definitely be num- the first one to have a vaccine. I, oh. uh, you know, odds odds are high because we have a lot of resources. We have a lot of pharmaceutical companies. We have the technology. Yeah. And we've got good science. USA. USA. <laughs> All right. This is turning into a rally over here. (laughs) Yes, it's a rally. We're going to rally back from this virus. That's right. On a worldwide worldwide scale. Any closing thoughts on this? Any last minute uh, kind of things to add before we move on to the game segment? All my thoughts are closing. Mine have been closed for a while. You know, I I will. To to our listeners out there, um, you know, the best advice we follow Follow the directions that your your doctor and your healthcare providers and the yeah. the CDC are giving us. We're not going to have a vaccine. We're not going to have a treatment. Yeah. Right? There's different things that people are trying. Fine, let them do that. Discuss it with your doctor before you take anything yep. that you're not sure about. Exactly. But social distancing can work. Remember, you're getting this from somebody else. Other people are dirty. You yeah. don't want to touch them. Watch out for fomites. It's okay to wash your hands more often. Right. Don't yeah. remember. Uh, remember, a mask is not going to be the only thing that protects you. Yes, you must clean your hands because you mm-hmm. touch something, touch your face and be smart. We are opening. Yes, it is summer. Yes. Go to the beach. Go to the park. Yeah. Do not be logical. crowd yourself yep. in a place that has thousands of people all uh, rubbing up against each other at a rave or a party or something. Uh-huh. Be a smart. Rave. All be right. Smart. Good closing. And there remarks. will be times for raves. They will come to, back. <laughs> oh, and you'll be the first in line. Right? That's right. We have but, to be cautious. We have to be patient. And especially in terms of wanting this vaccine, we have to be patient in order to have a good and efficient vaccine. And you know what? Demand from your elected officials to support the science. You call your elected That's official good. and you say, fund science, increase NIH funding, That's increase the only CDC way this funding. Yep. If you care enough about this, Care enough where your tax dollars are going. And who knows if we would have had more tax dollars going there. Maybe this vaccine timeline, the developmental timeline, maybe goes a bit quicker. All right. Maybe a few days. Game segment. Uh, okay. So uh, welcome to our uh, recap of last episode's riddle. So um, in the uh, last episode, I asked in the 1980s, uh, there was a number of patients who developed difficulty breathing. And even some required a ventilator to support breathing while they recovered. Um, these patients all ate at a certain restaurant where they were inadvertently served contaminated food that caused their respiratory symptoms and muscle weakness. That's interesting, right? So you ate something, now you can't breathe. All right, last episode's question is, what disease did these patients acquire? And what was this? It wasn't COVID-80. It was not COVID-80, <laughs> no. And what was the specific contaminated food involved in this outbreak? Um we had a couple people email in, right? I have two here that I want to read. And again, we, um, you know, you, you can still win a prize. We've got microbes in the corner. Um, Bonnie, Bonnie writes in, 
uh, for this episode's guest the microbe. I think the disease is foodborne botulism. Bonnie, you are one hundred percent correct. Uh, and she found two cases where patients required ventilator support. The one I was thinking of is the first one you mentioned in October nineteen eighty three. In a small town um, in Illinois, there was an outbreak of uh, botulism from sautéed onions on a, a steak sandwich, uh, or excuse me, I think a sausage sandwich. They, the uh, researchers had to do several different epidemiological studies to actually find the botulism bacteria uh, because of their spores in those onions. They, they knew it was a sandwich but they couldn't figure out where it was. They finally identified it there. So interesting that yeah. the sautéing process can maybe you can hint to why the cooking of these onions did not yeah. kill the. It, it's similar to what we talked about with the bacillus from mm -hmm. the other week, or the spore? other from the episode like ten years ago. <laughs> it seems like right. <laughs> it's the spore. Spores are very important in transmission of diseases. Uh, clostridial diseases like botulism and tetanus that we've heard about um, and, and bacillus like anthrax. And then what we talked about last episode, bacillus serious, the spores Why are so serious. Oh, it's very, don't be serious. <laughs> Why did you have to do that? Uh, my humor is your humor is uh, off today. Off today. Yeah, so right. <laughs> that's all right. You got fodder in myself. So um, the, the reason that we have to, autoclave things uh, like in the hospital setting, in our research labs and uh, tattoo parlors is because of infectious diseases that can survive on them. And spores is one major reason. Spores, they can handle the sautéing temperature. Interestingly, though, it's an anaerobe, so it has to have a lack of oxygen. So after the sautéing process, they stored these sautéed onions in dishes. And I'm just wondering why everybody's texting Did something happen. <laughs> Always paid attention. Paying and attention. the bacteria made Our the toxins are paying attention. The other one that's interesting is uh, Bonnie found one from the 90s in Texas that's the, from a potato-based dip that was contaminated with botulism. And, and so the, the people ate the spores. We call it intoxication. Most often, adult botulism cases, which occur in the States, um, are from a consumption of un, uh, improperly canned food. Right. All right, so things like green beans. And Rick Lorenzo also uh, also sent in a correct answer. So thanks, Rick. Um, I will be talking to you soon, I promise. So, <laughs> and uh, Rick ends, Rick, Rick is a, a family doc in uh, North Carolina, I believe still. He ends with stay safe out there. So, so Bonnie, great. Please contact Dr. A for your, uh, your gift. Your prize, yeah. more it's a yeah. prize on a gift. And now to end this episode with the the next guest, your microbe. We're done with GI for a while. At the end of the last century, a young man presented to a hospital in New Mexico with increased respiratory rate and difficulty breathing, and later died of respiratory distress shortly after presentation. It was learned later that his fiance had presented to a different hospital and died a day earlier of similar symptoms. Investigations reveal that five other young individuals were identified as having died recently in the area of similar symptoms. Now, all of these patients were found to have a very large amount of fluid and inflammatory cells in their lungs. Similar to what we've talked about with coronavirus. Now, they thought it was the plague because you may or may not know the plague is endemic in that area. 
bubonic plague. But um, lab tests ruled out your city of pestis as a cause. The CDC was then called in. Eventually, they discovered a novel virus causing the disease outbreak. So the episode's question is, what is the official name of this virus that caused the lethal outbreak? And how is it acquired? Thank you, Dr. Keller. Very good. Thank you, Dr. Abdullah. We'll give a hint to our listeners. It is out in New Mexico. It was not an alien abduction. That caused this. That you know of. <laughs> or that no, we know. You really don't know, do you? Don't eat we, the chocolate. What, what's the, uh, how does the theme music for the X-Files go? Da, da, da. I'm good at knowing yeah, yeah, theme yeah. songs. I could do the entire theme song for I used to I'll have one of those posters, I Want to Believe posters. Oh, dear Lord. I, I loved the X-Files when it was on. Oh, I did too. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, I didn't watch it as much when it was first on. Me neither. Because I, I was in up. college, yeah. uh-huh. and then at least towards I the end. My, I, I, towards you know, the, it was my uh, uh, last years of so, high school. So when Netflix kid. first went streaming, oh. that was it. Binged it all, yeah. Binged Same it here. all. Well, Binged looking back now, I probably show. understand a lot more of the episodes, the mythology. Uh, yes. All that kind yeah. of stuff. Good Pretty stuff. intense. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, that's our show uh, for So, today. yeah, but if uh, if you do want to respond, please, please send your uh, responses to... The BioBusters. At gmail.com. There you go. So that's our show for today. You can email us at thebiobusters at gmail.com. Please email us anything you want to know, uh, any topics you want you want us to talk about. We'd be happy to address those. If you have follow-up questions to vaccines as well, we can also do a QA at the start of next episode yeah. with any of your vaccine Absolutely. questions. We, Absolutely. We There'll pro- be a quiz at the end of the year. We promise not to wait two months for the next episode. No, we'll do we'll we'll bang them out uh, much quicker than that. Now that we're back on campus, uh, you can find us on iTunes. Just for search for the BioBusters, any podcast catcher to download our episodes. Um, I'm Delbert Abby Abdallah. You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Delbert. You can find Christopher Fawner at Fawner916. And you will not find Dr. Keller on Twitter. I am Twitterless. Twitterless. Thank you all for listening. And thanks to Bahana Mani for the music. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you.